This is a production of the Gold Arrow Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to the Gold Arrow Camp Podcast, a podcast for friends of Gold Arrow Camp. Throughout the year, we join you to bring your day some of what makes Gold Arrow special. Our goal is to help you have fun, make friends, and grow throughout the year, not just when you're at GAC. Since we can't get together in real life, we gather here around the virtual campfire. We have some of your favorite parts of morning assembly. We also have interviews with experienced campers, some of your favorite counselors, and, in a case like today, parenting experts. We think it's a lot of fun, and we're glad you've joined us here on the podcast. This is episode 61, where we're hearing from Michael Thompson, Ph.D. So today's episode is a special episode. Normally, we would interview somebody who works with us at Gold Arrow Camp. But today, we have a special interview from our chief visionary officer, Audrey Sunshine Monkey, who is talking to somebody who a lot of our camp parents have gotten to know through his writing. This is Dr. Michael Thompson. Uh, He is a psychologist who writes about child development and has for a great number of years. He may be familiar to you if you have sent a camper to Gold Arrow in recent years, because we have recently gotten into the habit of sending our first year parents a copy of his book, Homesick and Happy, which does a great job of explaining how if you want your children to be successful and independent, they cannot develop independence with you there as a parent. And so Sunshine had a chance to sit down and chat with Michael Thompson about all kinds of child development issues, including homesick and happy and how camp works. Uh, In this conversation, they cover a a wide myriad of things, including how camp can help uh, students develop 21st century skills and social emotional learning, how campers develop independence. Uh, He talks very specifically about his homebody of a child who went to camp and was homesick the whole time and then insisted on going back the next year and how eventually camp changed his son's life. So great stuff in here for camp parents, especially if you're maybe a little bit nervous about camp this summer. So without further ado, here it is, Sunshine's interview with Michael Thompson. Well, welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you, Audrey. I'm delighted to be here. So fun to have you back on. I think it's been two or three years since I first had you on, but I can't remember. I keep track of that kind of thing. The the years go by quickly, don't they? They do. (laughs) Well, you are just, as I always say, just one of the people that in the camp industry and just the parenting world and the education world, you are just um, a voice of reason for all of us. So thank you for continuing to help us all as we figure out how to raise awesome, well-adjusted kids. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to uh, have parents find uh, more confidence in their, in their uh, I think their natural reflexes and their common sense. Okay, well, let's talk about that because that was one thing I just wanted to, to, for you to share today. If people don't know you and you're just kind of meeting them for the first time or they're hearing from you the first time and they haven't read any of your nine books and, or heard you speak, 
what are some of the things that like messages that you have for parents today to just help guide them through this kind of crazy time? Well, there, there are two things that, that, that come to mind. One was I was trained as a psychoanalytic therapist and I was profoundly influenced by the work of Donald W. Winnicott, an English pediatrician turned psychoanalyst. And I think it was his 20 years as a pediatrician um, which allowed him to write this, but he was writing to parents about what he called the good enough parent. Um, he doesn't believe you can be a perfect parent and he doesn't believe that children uh, need um, a, a perfect parent. They need a good enough parent, an attentive enough parent, a loving enough parent. You get short-tempered and you shout at your children. I, 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 a fellow came to me once and said, I, I'm using this website where you're never, you never shout at your children. And I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> well, it's too late for me on that one. <laughs> right? Most parents have shouted at their children. It's just um, human. And you have to forgive yourself. So the other axiom I like, um, it, 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 someone said, I don't know where, where I got the quotation, but um, it, parenting is the best thing we do. It, it isn't the thing we do best. Mm. Um, and there are many, many skilled parents who feel like they're hitting on all cylinders in their job and their profession and do this and that, but they're, 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 they're missing things, you know, the, the jalopy of parenting is a rougher ride for them. And they can't accept that that's, that's the way it comes, that your, your children come into this world designed to love you, to adore you, to want to follow you, and also to bump up against you, to challenge you, um, and to disobey you. And anybody who's had a two or three year old should know that lesson rather vividly because they do it early and often. And, and the great um, uh, psychologist, Eric Erickson, said the first uh, stage of life is to develop trust and confidence. And the second stage is the will to be oneself, autonomy, pushback. And there's always that alternation between trusting your parents and pushing back on your parents. And that's the way they're built. And that's what we must respond to. So the idea that you can get it so right, you're perfect every time, is to me, rubbish. Can't be done. Well, that's very reassuring for all of us because it's so true. And I think, you know, people are running around thinking, you know, you read something about how it's important to, you know, speak positively to your kids. And of course, it's good to always try your best. But like you said, there's going to be days where you're frustrated, your kids are frustrated, things go wrong. And so, you know, just that, you know, you need to repair you know, right. and keep the relationship and all that. But I, I love that. I love that. The good enough. I think that's what we all need to relax a little, maybe. Do parents just need to kind of chill? Oh, yes. This generation of parents is the most conscientious, um, the, the, the most devoted mothers in the last 30 years. Educated mothers have doubled the amount of time they spend with their children. And incidentally, educated fathers have also doubled their time. It's many few hours that the, that fathers spend in comparison to mothers. But a lot of this doubling of a mother time is 
uh, homework supervision and blah, and um, and worrying and doubling your time, but doubling the anxiety you're bathing your child in is not a gift. <laughs> Interesting. And you know, parents are always asking me, "What more should I do? What more should I do?" And that was one of the reasons I decided to write Homesick and Happy, the subtitle of which was um, how time away from parents can help a child grow. Because I'm trying to say to parents, your presence doesn't always add value. Now, I don't mean to diminish the power of parenting thereby. Not at all. I think parents are essential to the foundation of a good, solid human personality. You, you have to feel loved if you're gonna go on in this world and love yourself and then be able to give to other people. And you get that from your parents. But constant supervision, monitoring, worry and attention, not so much. Yeah, in a way it almost, well, I think what I have found is it sort of undermines the child's own development. If you're kind of constantly helping them and doing so much for them, they start feeling, I think, like they must not be able to do anything or maybe, you know, they'll never be good enough at these things to do these chores or these tasks without their parent there. So like homework is a great example. Right. You know, if the parents are always making sure they have all their homework or watching them do it or checking their work. I think that kind of diminishes their own confidence, right? And their ability to ever figure it out on their own. So I was uh, uh, speaking to a parent audience last week and the mother of a 12 year old boy said to me, how do I uh, motivate my son to, um, you know, to be more focused on homework and, 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 and be more in finishing it. And I said to her, or I asked her, um, who takes his homework more seri seriously, you or your son? And she said, well, I do. And I said, well, as long as you're taking it more seriously than he does, he, he, he's, his, he's not gonna have that much motivation because it's not his, he doesn't really own it. And this is often the point where seventh grade boys and their mothers get into it because the boy wants autonomy, but he doesn't wanna necessarily do homework. And he's kind of relying on his mother to push him to do it. But the more she pushes and the more seriously she takes it, and especially the less willing she is to let him get into trouble with the teacher for not having it done. If she keeps protecting him from that, it's never going to become his. Why would, why would it? She's doing all the worrying. She's doing all the scaffolding. She's doing all the helping him focus. And... He thinks, well, okay, it's important to her. <laughs> it's, it's just not that important to me. Yeah, and almost like you don't need any motivation. If someone right, else is- your mom's gonna yeah. drag you through the race and across the finish line. Yeah, so you don't, yeah, so why, why develop your own intrinsic internal motivation when it's not, no, you'll never develop it, huh? I'm going in and being embarrassed mm -hmm. on Monday morning or Tuesday morning and, and caught out by your teacher. Now that's uncomfortable and that might motivate you. Right. Why do you think, Michael, that parents um, are so much more concerned about this stuff these days than like when, when I was a kid or you were a kid? Uncertainty about their kids' futures, global competition, knowing that being afraid that their kids are not going to have as easy a path as the parents had. No matter how challenging the parents' path is, has been, parents today look forward and they think, wow, my child's future, their future jobs, everything is uncertain. So I need to get 
pack everything in that's going to help them in the future. I'm sympathetic to that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when, when the, all these futurologists tell us we're going to have three different careers in a lifetime and it's going to be, and you have to be flexible and adaptable and half the jobs we, we our kids will have or haven't been invented yet. I mean, that makes my head spin. I've been a psychologist for 40 years. <laughs> you know, I've had stability. But it's also just, again, that kind of points to what do our kids really need? So what are you now when you talk to parents? Okay, so you need to be good enough. And here are the things that will benefit your kids. Well, interestingly, the, the corporations in the United States have uh, been giving out these lists, the World Economic Forum, uh, a lot of the Forbes 500 companies got together and said, what were the 21st century skills? and there's an, 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 quite a consensus on what they are. You need uh, to be able to collaborate. You need teamwork. You need uh, self-control and self-awareness. Daniel Goleman talked about these in EQ. And uh, all the research shows that EQ is more important for future job success than IQ. It's not that IQ is unimportant, but EQ is more important because you can be bright and clueless and you then can't uh, keep a job or take a leadership position or be looked to to lead a team. So if you want to be a success, these are the kinds of things um, that corporate America is telling us. And I recommend anybody look up 21st century skills or the World Economic Forum list of what uh, uh, employees are going to need, and on and on, I go on and on, because I, 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 I use them and I cite them, but there's this um, unanimity of view, and a lot of it is social-emotional learning, not book learning, and not homework. Which is what I always say, because, you know, from the camp world, of course, you know that our focus is 100% on the social-emotional. Yes. And so that's why camp experiences can be so beneficial for kids and maybe especially for the ones who maybe are, have a really high IQ and are, you know, effective in school, but have trouble communicating or collaborating with other kids. So and you're sharing a cabin or a tent with eight or 10 kids. You, that's collaboration. Oh you're yeah. A tent inspection in the morning. That's collaboration. You're canoeing with a kid, you know, when I was a 13 year old boy and I went to camp, um, I had some spoiled brat in the bow of my canoe and this kid did not pull his weight. <laughs> I still remember his name, <laughs> Humphrey, did not pull his weight. And you know, how to, how to, for me to manage my anger, try and bring the best out in my bowman. I was only 13 years old, but, um, I had to try and find a way, because I couldn't do it myself all day. I couldn't paddle all day. I needed his help. And he needed me to help motivate him. Uh, he, he was happy to have me paddle, but never mind. I don't want to go on too much about Humphrey. But <laughs> these, um, these kinds of experiences are very vivid in my mind. And they come from camp. You know, I, I think... I've seen so much lately about how, you know, we're, America is a very individualistic, competitive focus. You know, yes. we're kind of all about, you know, scores and, 
you know, college rankings and sports things. And it's just very much kind of our, in our psyche. Right. And, you know, a lot of those, um, values are kind of counter to these 21st century skills. That's right. That, that so it's like in so for parents and any, you know, schools and camps and everything else, one of the things I think we can do to help our kids um, is to help them realize and value these other things that aren't as sort of valued by the greater culture. Yes. Yes. So and you but but sometimes you have to pry children out of their parents' arms to get them into an experience where they need, they have to rely on other kids. Um, um, I, I had, after my uh, camp experience as a teenager in college, I was an instructor at Hurricane Island Outward Bound in Penobscot Bay, and we were making kids go over a 10-foot wooden wall. And that's serious stuff. But the, the most important thing about getting over a 10-foot wooden wall is you cannot do it alone. There's just no way you can do it alone. And if you have to get a group of 12 guys over it, you have to figure out who's got what skills, who, 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 who's got what kind of strength, who's got what kind of height, <laughs> right? And you have to organize yourselves so that you're, you're maxing out everybody's skills. Uh, and your mother can't save you from that. And your father can't coach you in that. That is something you can only do with other kids. And there are many of the kinds of activities that um, occur both spontaneously in camp, but also occur because counselors put you in those situations where uh, the only thing that gets you through is cooperation and understanding. Mm -hmm. So true. Have you ever done that exercise? I've done that one at, I've been at conferences where, you know, they say, here's a paper cup or it can be anything or a paper yeah. clip list, all the things you could do with this. And you, you right. know, you write your list by yourself yeah. and then they have you group up together Yeah. and you know, you go from like the five to 10 things that you thought of right. to like hundreds, it like exponentially improves. Um, it reminds you, you're not that smart, right? Yeah. You're not that, you're not and, that on a solo basis. You're just not that dazzlingly bright. <laughs> uh, correct. And I love like even just being on, the, I mean, doing this podcast, I love talking to people because I talk to you. It reminds me of something. It's like this spurring on of ideas. And it's yeah. such an important thing that our kids learn that, that they're going to be better by collaborating and creating with a team that yeah. whatever their product or their thing they create or their business is going to be 10 times better when they, you know, combine their strengths with the strengths of other people and they figure out that self-awareness piece that you talk about. Mm -hmm. So important. I love that. Well, you let's know, talk in a lot of independent schools where the board of trustees think the, the measure of the school is how many kids they get into Stanford. Well, there's just not many people's going to, many schools that are going to get many kids into Stanford, one or two max. And those kids are brilliant and they're born for school. But the kids who go out from that school to the workplace and cooperate and lead that they can produce a school can produce a lot more of those kids actually yeah like they can have a positive impact by teaching those collaboration skills and that flexibility and the ability to focus there's all these important skills that need to be more prioritized than the test score or the grade on a particular test you're preaching to the choir with me. <laughs> I know, I know, but it's, but it's so hard when you're in it. And I know when my kids were younger too, you get a little panicked, like, 
hmm, you know, they're not very focused on their homework. Is this ever going to change? Right. And, you know, it seems like they sort it out. They either start getting more diligent or they find another thing to do where they can be productive. And, you know, so, so if school's not their thing, you know, you want to help them find what is. Yeah, it's hard for parents to come to grips with the idea that school's not your kid's thing because they have so many years of it to go. And my daughter, Joanna, who's now 35, and the sainted mother of my three grandchildren <laughs> was um, a diagnosed as dyslexic. And uh, elementary school was an ordeal for her because the, the uh, elementary classroom was four-fifths language-based, and that was her weakness. No one told us when she was in fourth grade and not reading very well that she could go into the hotel business, manage 40 employees, and not have to read all that much. They don't tell you that when you're the parent of a fourth grader. Yeah, and I wish, but see, your your wise voice, hopefully, is if it goes from this podcast into people's ears, the parent of the fourth grader will hear that and be reassured that it's all going to be okay. Right. You know? My wife and I lived it. We, yeah. we lived it. We, we, we rendered our garments and worried and worried and worried and, and you know. And here she is. Here thriving. she is. <laughs> and, a, and a brilliant mother of three gorgeous grandchildren. What can I yeah. say? <laughs> well, and I think that's part of this too. I find that so many kids have, you know, different things going on with them. You know, they call it differently wired. I had Debbie yeah. Reber on my podcast and, you know, she's, she's the mother to a, a son who's um, Asperger's, he's on the spectrum yeah. and she's had to kind of help him navigate the world. And there's a lot of parents out there who have dyslexic kids, ADHD, all these things. And, you know, traditional school and what's expected isn't a really easy fit for them. Right. So, you know, we have to be just kind of embrace our kids for who they are, not who we want them to be, I guess is kind yeah. of the main idea. Okay. Well, Michael, in our last few minutes, I just want to spend a few minutes talking about homesick and happy. Your yeah. book. And I want to kind of broaden the perspective. So whether or not people listening are thinking about camp for their kids or just raising kids who they hope eventually will go to college or maybe pursue a career in the military or do something that's away from home. Um, you know, not all kids do. In some places, um, like where I live, a lot of kids don't ever leave here. Huh. You know, um, I'm in Central California. It's not American. <laughs> I thought Americans were supposed to get up and move, right? Well, I think so. Um, it just depends. I think, you know, I'm in a more rural-ish area, Central California, and just a yeah. lot of kids just, they go to the local college, yeah. they find meet someone here, and they get married, and they settle here. So some kids, like, never really, like, leave home far, far away. Right, right. But for but parents, you, have to become, you know, I've thought a lot about this, Audrey, because people said, well, you know, what's the point of parenting? And because I was never trained as a parent expert, I'm trained as a child psychologist. It's just that I kept getting so many questions from parents in school that I tried to refine my thinking. And I can't, it comes down to this for me. You want to produce a child who is loving and moral and productive and independent loving, moral, productive, independent. And you can't produce an independent child unless he or she is capable of making decisions away from you. By definition, if a parent is always over a child's shoulder, um, always you know, monitoring, that child can't be independent because uh, he or she can't 
totally own the decision. When you send a child to camp, yes, they have counselors and everything else, but the camp is set up with choice. That's been a tradition in American camps, right? Since the 1920s, a kid chooses what she wants, chooses what he wants. And the counselor says, okay, and honors that request. But mom and dad aren't there to say, no, wouldn't you rather do horseback riding? Wouldn't you rather do, you know, cut? And so the kid makes a decision and then has to live with it. Um, and day after day after day, that kind of independent decision-making, which seems so small, is actually life-changing because kids don't get those kinds of independent decisions in school. I mean, when you think about what place you learn to be a loving, moral, independent, and productive human being, school can do a lot for you in terms of productive. Absolutely it can. And your family can do a lot for you in loving. But independent, got to be away. Your parents have to open the door and let you go out. Which is so hard for some parents. It really I is. Know. And I feel for them. And I think especially now when I think they're so accustomed to having so much involvement with their kids, you know, when they are so spending all those extra hours and so much of their life is focused on their kids and they right. feel like they're supposed to be tracking their every move and their homework. And they, had, and they had a radio transmitter in the child's room. They've heard every whimper and cry. I mean, the, the extent to which we can be involved in our children's lives uh, and, and, and see them. And what I mean, people have cameras up to make sure the nanny doesn't abuse them. You can, you can see everything. I mean, but you got to stop at some point. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so interesting. Well, in our, so we send your book to all yeah. of our first year families. And a lot Thank of camps are so doing much. this because we all realize that it's just, it's this bigger message and it's not just about camp. Your message is what you just said, that it's a really painful thing often for parents, but it's just the reality that our kids are not going to necessarily become independent or make decisions on their own, unless in some cases you really force them to do so. There are some kids who kind of naturally are inclined to be quite independent and will yep. assert themselves and say, yep. this is what I'm doing. But there's many others who will just go with the flow, let let parents make all those decisions. And, you know, even in my own family, the, I see the variety of kids, the ones who will text questions, yeah. you, know, at, you know, when they come up or versus the ones who said, oh, you know, I, I decided to do this, you know, yeah. and it's like, and so it's a, even when they're adults, as a parent, you have to navigate that and be able to still go back to them and say, you know, I really, I, I know that you'll figure this out. You know, I, I feel you've made so many great decisions in the past and I, I, you know, but if you want to, you know, run any ideas off of me or whatever, I'm happy to chat, but I really have confidence that you can make this decision. Audrey, and, I had a, a teacher in Chicago, a psychiatrist and psychoanalyst, and he said, as a therapist, you're going to be tempted to run somebody else's life. Have some humility, he said. If you run somebody else's life, you're going to make a hash of it. And they have more information than you do. You can help them. You can support them. But when parents, <clears throat> when parents think they can run their child's life better than their child can, they are, by definition, giving their child a vote of no confidence in that child's judgment and experience. And if you continually give your child a vote of no confidence, 
Well, uh, how can your child be confident? They have to make decisions, have it turn out to be right, and feel confident. So I was actually at dinner last night with a mother whom I really respect. And she has two daughters in there, uh, one in the 40s and one in the 30s. And both of the daughters are facing big decisions. Now, this woman is very wise. She's very experienced. She's very smart. And this is what she said. Well, I don't know much about that. What do you think you're going to do? I don't know much about that. Oh, what do you think you're going to do? She just is, she's passed. In her late 60s, she's passed giving advice to her daughters of 30 and 40 because she actually doesn't know as much as her daughters about it. But I believe that's a kind of a philosophical achievement to shut up and stop giving advice. And I'll tell you why I admire it. Because I haven't achieved it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, well, some of us have that personality, Michael. You know, where I we can't just, stop. Yeah, no, we've read a lot of. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, but but I agree. It's such an important thing, and you know, we are. That's where, like, I mean, I don't know what your who your spouse is as a parent, but mine is that great listener, very calm, and right. you know, so so it's always good because sometimes I can just say, you know. I think you should talk to dad about this because I feel like I have too much that I want to, you know, say in this situation. Yeah. So it's good to know yourself, that self-awareness, right? That Well, it's yeah. also an occupational hazard to be a camp director and write parenting books or to be a psychologist and write parenting books because you get, you start to get to feel, uh-oh, everybody wants to hear from me all the time about my good opinions, right? Right, right. You're like, uh-oh, yeah. Okay, well, I'm just going to, um, I want to just read a little bit from, so we send this letter to our parents and we quote your book. And then, oh, um, and then it starts with, every child, this is your words from the book, every child has to practice being independent and every parent has to practice letting his or her child be independent. Yes. And then um, I, I say, most kids feel some apprehension before going on their first adventure away from home without parents. Yeah. Many parents are also nervous about the separation from their child, especially if your camper is expressing anxiety about going away to camp. Right. The biggest source of parental concern is often how your child will handle the separation from you and if they will experience negative emotions, often referred to as homesickness while at camp. While most kids do not feel extreme symptoms of homesickness, many experience emotional challenges during their first and subsequent experiences and other away from parent experiences. These feelings are normal and are something that we have helped many campers work through. Campers feel a great sense of accomplishment when they successfully overcome the challenge of homesickness. And we yep. encourage you to view this experience through the lens of the long-term positive outcomes for your child. So that's our effort right. to just preload for parents. The fact that for the most part, I mean, and in my case, like at our camp, we have 1300 kids come through. And I mean, no joke, there are fewer than 10 in any given summer who have extreme. what I would call, you know, extreme homesickness. So really most kids, many kids verbalize that they have none. Right. You know, I'm, ha I'm having so much fun. And then, Chris, uh, then a Chris lot. Chris Thurber doesn't, you know, Chris Thurber doesn't yeah. believe. He thinks everybody's got a little mild homesick. But I don't know if you remember the story about my son, Will, <clears throat> when I read Chris Thurber's research on homesickness. Yeah. And I went to my son, Will, um, <clears throat> and I said, Will, 
I think you were in the significant distress group. You may have been in the nonstop homesickness group that first summer you were away. And he said, yes, I was, Dad. I said, you felt it every day. And he said, yes, Dad. And then I felt a little bad. And I said, well, why'd you go back for the second year? You know, your mom and you could have ganged up on me and you wouldn't have had to go back to camp. <clears throat> and he said, Dad, if you can't learn to sleep away from your parents, you have to live with them for the rest of your life. <laughs> oh my gosh, he was wise. He must have inherited some of it. Doesn't he encapsulate the whole thing? The moment he said it, I knew that had to go into the book. If you okay. can't learn to sleep away from your parents, yeah. you have to live with them for the rest of your life. That's so, so good. So then when he went back, was he not as homesick? Oh yeah, no, he, he, he was, oh, he's a homebody. He's a kind of a cautious homebody, but his experiences at camp, he told me at the end of the second year, you know, dad, I get the camp thing. He wanted a different kind of camp. He wanted an arts camp and it changed his life. He went on to art school. I mean, it camp changed the direction of his life uh, as he knew it would when he asked for an arts camp. But um, there's no question his independence was won at camp. That's awesome. Well, what advice do you have for parents? Maybe those parents out there who are either sending their child to camp for the first time or sending them away to college for the first time or sending them on any away from them adventure. What, what advice do you have for parents? I want, I want adults, and I ask them this in my talks, to reflect on what some of the happiest, most satisfying moments from their childhood are. And they're often, the majority, are usually having a memory when they were away from their parents, doing something with their friends that might have been a little risky, or a and doing it, managing it, and leading it. I had a, a, a woman tell me when she was an 11-year-old girl, she was in the summer out with her younger cousins. I can't remember, they were six or five or whatever. And she was in a, a, a field and all of a sudden the grass was so high, they were all lost. And she thought, I'm 11 years old and I have to get my younger cousins back and I have to find the way back. And when I asked for, the, for this audience for the sweetest moment of, the of childhood, that was what the woman remembered. It was my taking charge and being protective of my cousins. That was the most, the, the most satisfying memory was a grown-up. I was a grown-up. I was in, uh, you can't, your parents can't hand that to you. They can't. Yeah, so true. Well, Michael, this has been, once again, so fabulous. I could just talk to you all day, but we'll have oh, to, and maybe in fun. another two years, we'll, we'll circle back again because right. I just need to, I love talking to you and I love hearing from you. And I hope, hope I get to see you on one of your, one of your upcoming talks. Are you mostly talking to parents now or teachers or both? When, or? I, go, when I go to schools, I try and do a middle school assembly, an upper school assembly, a faculty meeting and a parent talk awesome. so that I hit all three constituencies in a school. And you are still like people can still book you, right? For neck for the yeah, rest of this yeah, year? I'm online. Yeah, no, okay. my yeah, no, I I have a website. Yeah, absolutely, that's my work. I'm not doing it as much as I used to, Audrey. I'm I I last year I traveled and spoke for seven months, and I took five months off. 
Well, I need to be with my grandchildren. Well, for sure. But I looked at your schedule coming up and it looks pretty darn busy to me. So I think you're doing great. And I appreciate, we really need you. Maybe I know you've been doing this for 35 years, but I think people need you more now than they did 35 years ago. Thanks. So thanks. Thanks so much for being on. Have such a great month and we'll, uh, we'll be in touch. Okay. And you have a great spring and summer. Special thanks to Sunshine for sharing that interview with us. She recorded that originally for her podcast, the Sunshine Parenting Podcast, uh, and was kind enough to share it with us. You can find that podcast wherever you found this podcast or at her website, sunshine-parenting.com. Michael Thompson, also michaelthompson-phd.com. And we have a link to all nine of his books in the show notes for this show today. Thank them so much for their time and their insights into how camp builds independence. And now we're going to end the show the way we always end the show, with a joke of the day. In a world with far too much seriousness, far too much drama, we bring you something different. The joke of the cast. I'm going to be honest, guys. I'm having a hard time working on a joke of the cast. I mean, I know I normally have one, but yeah, I'm, I'm honestly pretty upset. Um, my dad got laid off. Um, you know, he's worked for a lot of years at, at the calendar factory. And I mean, I don't, I don't know how to tell you guys this, but, uh, he got fired for taking time off. <laughs> Get it? Cause it's calendars. He's taking time off. <laughs> oh, I like that one. Well, that does it. That's another episode of the Gold Arrow Camp podcast in your ears. Great information in your brain. Again, our thanks to Sunshine for talking to Michael Thompson and Michael Thompson for talking to us about the ways camp builds independence and 21st century skills in kids. We know how important it is. Uh, guys, if you like this, we have more podcasts coming. This season is just getting started as we head towards camp. And once camp is started... You can look for our daily podcast, What a Day. Until then, I'm Soy and I'll save a marshmallow for you. 